Everyone can be seated. I'm not going to open up with the scripture this morning. Today, um, we're going to be talking about a topic that I felt on my heart this week. Um, Just going to be talking a little bit about the power of God, what that looks like, the power of God. Let's all say a prayer before we get into the word. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be in this place this morning. I pray that you would have your way in our service, Lord, that we can grow in you, that we can learn in you. I pray that your word would be fruitful to us, that we can take something away from it, and that you would bless our time here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be talking about the power of God. The definition of power, according to Reverend Webster Dictionary, uh, has actually five definitions. I'm going to read them all. The first one is the ability to act or produce an effect. The second one is the ability to get extra base hits. So there's that. The third one is the capacity for being acted upon or undergoing an effect. The fourth one is legal or official authority, capacity, or right. And then the last one is possession of control, authority, or influence over others. When we say power, we understand it to mean strength, ability, might, the means by which to accomplish something. You can research uh, who the most powerful people in the world are, and you'll find that there's a common thread of characteristics among these people. According to Forbes, it says that the four, these four things are found in the top 10 most powerful people in the world. The first one is control. That's the amount of uh, people a person has influence over. The second one is wealth, the amount of money or financial resources that person has. The third one is spread, the number of categories or spheres a person is powerful in. And the last one is usage, the ability of the person to use his or her power. This is what the world says uh, is what represents power. I find it interesting that the first three aspects of their measure of power has nothing to do with actual power. It's just how many people you can control and how many people know you and all those type of things. It's mainly about your influence, your resources, and how well-known you are. But I'm thankful today that I know I'm in a room with some of the most powerful people in the entire world. Amen. The president isn't here, Jeff Bezos isn't here, but the almighty God, King of Kings, he is here, and he's in all of us today, amen. So when discussing the power of God, a common concept that comes up is what I call the three O's. That's omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence. Omnipresence is the ability of God to be everywhere at all or any time. He's not limited to space or time. Omniscience is that God can know everything, the end from the beginning. He knows it all. Omnipotence is the quality of having unlimited or very great power. Some uh, synonyms for omnipotence is almighty, supreme, absolute, undisputed, unrivaled, invincible power. That describes our God. Amen. We're going to read Psalms 139. Brother Caleb, if you could throw it up on the screen. This is David, and he describes the power of God. He says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. 
Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall be thy hand, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. David is describing these awesome attributes of our God. Let's start with omnipotence. That's the limitless ability of our God. It's perfectly exampled in Genesis chapter 1 when there was nothing and the earth was void and darkness covered the face of the earth and all he did was speak. All he did was speak and he created everything. It's just like uh, when God speaks into our situations, it can change our storm into a blessing. He can say, peace be still and the storm will cease. That is the power of our God. 2 Samuel 22 says, And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And David said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior. Thou savest me from all violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And down in verse 31, it says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord Almighty? Who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and my power. He maketh my way perfect. This is the God that we serve. He is all powerful. The next one is omnipresence. And like I said earlier, that simply speaks to the fact that God is everywhere at all times. It's how we can feel his presence in this place today, and churches all around the world can feel the same thing that we do because he is everywhere. Remember, God is a spirit. He's not limited in his body like we are today. So when Jesus was on this earth and the fullness of the Godhead was in him bodily, God was still in heaven on the throne. God's not restricted to time, location, time zones, or even supernatural zones. God is omnipresent. And the last one is omniscience. That simply means that God knows everything that is past, present, and future. He knows it all. Isaiah 46, 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Amen. Luke 12, 6 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Verse 7 says, but even the the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. God knows the very hairs of our head. He knows the number of them. He knows all things. Amen. We serve a powerful God. But perhaps one of the greatest aspects of power is the ability of restraint. It seems contrary in nature, but allow me to try to explain my thought process about this. You see, without restraint, power can be very dangerous, unproductive, and even destructive. Anytime you have power, you have to have some sort of restriction because pure power can just simply be harmful. Makes me think about electricity. If you just have uh, open wires, you know, that's a recipe for an explosion, a disaster. There has to be some sort of restrictions. And when when I look at the Bible, I think about Samson. One of the most mighty men of the scripture, but he could not restrict himself when he was tempted with Delilah and that power was lost. Or what about David, a man after God's own heart, could not restrict himself in a time of temptation and lost that power. Even Moses, Abraham, and even Jesus all had some sort of restriction on their power. 
So it makes, it makes me ask myself the question, how is God limited? How is God limited? He's not limited by an outward force or he's not limited by anyone on this earth. He alone is almighty, but he limits himself. You see, he limits himself to his word. He is faithful to what he says. He is not a liar. He will perform what he has promised. He is limited by his holiness. There are some things that our God will simply not do because it is not holy. It is who he is. You see, true freedom comes from restrictions, by the way. Some people think, oh, if there was just no laws and, you know, I could do whatever I want, I would be so free. That's not the truth. There has to be laws and restrictions for us to have true freedom. Amen. And another aspect is I believe God also restricts his knowledge towards us. You see, uh, a good example is in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2 with Abraham and Isaac. The Lord says, Abraham, rise up and take your only son, Isaac. Abraham had already had a son with his, with his wife's handmaid, but the Lord said, thine only son, Isaac. You see, the Lord, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. You know what that is? That's an immeasurable distance. It goes on forever. He takes our sin and casts it away. Amen. Our sins are washed away in baptism. He takes our crimson stains and makes them as white as snow. We are cleansed by the power of the blood. I believe God limits, or rather, he chooses to lay aside our sin from his mind. You see, Hebrews chapter 11, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, I spoke about it a few times, it's known as the faith chapter. But if we begin to look at these men and women who are in this chapter that are known for their faith, known for their power with the Lord, we'll begin to see some slight imperfections. You see, all these elders are spoken of as obtaining a good report with the Lord, but that was the end of their life, not in the middle. Abraham, once again, he was a liar. He got impatient with the promise of God. Isaac lied just like his father Abraham, and he played favorites. Jacob was a liar and deceiver. Moses had a stutter and disobeyed God. Rahab was even a harlot. Yet all of these were counted as people of faith. How could that be? Well, you see, just as these men and women, we are not defined by our mistakes. We are not defined by our past. You are not defined by what others did to you. You are not an accident. You are, you are defined as a child of God in this place this morning. We are defined as a finished product from our Lord. We are defined by God. So how can someone who commits adultery be called a man after God's own heart? How can a murderer of Christians become one of the greatest men of God to ever live? It's because God can take what is broken and marred and make it new through his blood. There's this Japanese art called kinstugi. And Brother Caleb, if you can put that picture on the screen. It's called kinstugi. Awesome, thank you. You see, this is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with uh, a lacquer-dusted or mixed powdered gold, silver, or platinum, precious metals. As a philosophy, it treats breakage and repair as a part of uh, the history of an object rather than something to disguise. This style of art would involve having a broken, marred piece of pottery, and it would be restored with these precious metals like gold and silver. These metals would cover the cracks and uh, scars leaving it a vessel that was restored to its original purpose and function. They would take the broken and make it beautiful, just as you see in this picture today. They would take what some would call trash and make it transformed. They would take what was marred and make it into a masterpiece. These pieces of pottery just needed to be in the right hands. You see, this vessel once was broken, but when the potter got his hands on it, he was able to renew it to its original purpose. 
You see, just like those artists, the, Lord's use some, the Lord uses something very precious to fill the void in our lives. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation and received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. The, the blood of Jesus is more precious than anything in this world. Silver and gold can't fix a scar in your life that came from sin, but only the blood of Jesus can. The blood is the power of God. It's the blood of Jesus that makes us whole. It's the blood of Jesus that heals us. It's the blood of Jesus that transforms our broken vessels into a vessels that have value. Amen. God is not interested in just simply putting a blanket over your sin. He wants to replace it. He wants to blot it out with his blood. When the scripture talks about blotting out, when the Lord blots out our transgressions, I kind of think of it as whiteout. It's, it's, a reference to, it's a reference to back in that time period where, you know, the tax collector or whoever had a charge laid against them, they would literally rewrite it. They would take away the penalty. That's exactly what the Lord does with our sin and our transgression. He covers it. It is no longer there. He blots it out of his record with his blood. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The power is in the blood. That is why Jesus came, so sins could be forgiven. And when Jesus came, I believe that's another way that the Lord limited his power, because he came and manifested himself in flesh as, our, as a man just as I am. He came into this earth to die for you and I. He limited himself so we can live in his power. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried out our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened up not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. You see, Jesus was rejected so that we could be accepted. Jesus carried our grief so that we could have peace. Jesus was beaten and bruised so that we could be made whole. You see, Jesus took our place on the cross. Amen. And I believe that is the true power of God. It's so easy as Christians in the church and even myself in my young years that I've been serving the Lord in my few years, it's easy sometimes to get caught up on what you did, what, what your past was. And I believe that this is truly one of the most powerful aspects of our God is because he doesn't think of that. When he sees you, he sees his blood. When you're baptized in his name and you apply his blood to your life, when he sees you, he sees your, his blood that he shed for you. He doesn't see your mistakes he doesn't see the things that you used to do. He doesn't see the sins that you did. When you repent and you're in the blood, all he sees is that blood. That's why we could be sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. That's why we could be heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Whereby we have the spirit of adoption crying out, Abba, Father. He is our Father because he sees the blood that he shed for our life. Yes, we serve a powerful God. He can heal. He can create. He can speak into nothing and make masterpieces and something of beauty but the one of the most powerful aspects of our God is that he does not he can limit his memory almost 
I was trying to explain this to my wife the other day, and it's not that God forgets because he knows everything, but it's almost that he puts it out of his mind when he sees us. He doesn't think about what you did. He doesn't think about how you sinned against him because all sin is really against God. He doesn't think about any of those things, but all he thinks about is his blood on your life and how you are his child. He limits his knowledge so that we can have a relationship with him. That is one of the most powerful things of our God. And when you think about Paul, that was once Saul, you know, a murderer of Christians, held the coats of those that stoned Stephen. How can he be transformed from what he was into what God made him to be? One of the greatest missionaries that the world's ever seen, wrote over half of the New Testament. How can that happen? How can God take someone who has such a terrible past, persecuted the people that lived for him? How can that happen? It was only through the blood and through the limiting of God. If we could all stand in this place today, it just it was kind of a small thought that I wanted to, to communicate to some people in this place today that you're not defined by what you used to do. You could be living for God for 30 years and sometimes you can still get thoughts of how you, know, you, you used to mess up and you used to do the wrong things. I come here to tell you that the blood is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you in this place this morning. Amen. So when we think of the power of our God, yes, he's, he has all the power in heaven and earth. It's all in his name. He owns the, the uh, cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the resources. But when I think of the power of our God, I think of how he limits himself, how he limited himself to come on this earth to die for you and for, uh, and for me. That is the true power of our God. Let's all pray this morning. Lord,